Welcome to Daddy Issues. Tell me about your father's current affairs and pop culture talk show in which we determine what in recent news exhibits the symptoms of, you guessed it, Daddy Issues. I'm Elizabeth Thompson. I'm Matthew Philp. And I'm Erin Hosier. So we are back with our first Daddy Issues episode since like June. We have so much to unpack. We, we were thinking that we would have a guest today to join us, but then we thought, you know what? Let's just keep it us three. Yes. And let's, let's review everything that's happened since we were on break. We have had a few guests one-on-one episodes since we came back, but we haven't had a Daddy Issues and we really have so much to talk about. But quickly, how was everybody's summer? I think yesterday was the first day of fall, right? Or is it today? One of those it's, days. Yeah, yesterday. You're right. Totally. Um, 22nd. I am going to tell you that I went to the beach a lot this summer. What? And I enjoyed it. I got a really bad sunburn during one trip, but that's okay. Um, and I also today purchased a Roomba. Oh, I love a Roomba. They Does are Huxtable, your cat, you know, what does she think? Terror. About terror. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. like a guttural alien howl uh, yowling oh, at it today. I've already named him Rudy, Rudy Roomba. Welcome to the family, <laughs> Are you surprised, Rudy. though? Are you surprised no. Huxtable cannot do it? I mean, Huxtable is terrified of a lot of things. Um, she does not like vacuum cleaners. And she also doesn't like my nephew, Charlie, who's five. She's same reaction from Charlie. Small children and vacuum cleaners, not a fan. Yeah. Um, but, you know, who is? Anyways, guys, <laughs> how were your summers? Matt, where you traveled this summer. Yeah, okay. I mean, I did travel, and on the outside it looked glamorous, but I got... <gasps> yeah. COVID the second I was in Paris <gasps> oh! and then I had, I'd been working like for months to get all these deadlines finished and so that I could go to Europe. And mm. then like the second I arrived, I was COVID positive. So that was great. If you ever want to go to France, be sick. It's the best thing ever. Did COVID in France feel different? Was it chicer? Did you feel skinnier yeah. and prettier? Yeah, to be honest, I did. I did feel like that. That was a French sneeze. Erin, how was your summer in Ohio? In Ohio, that's oh, you how the know, British would say it. Ohio. You know that uh, that horror movie. I know what you did last summer. I don't know what I did last summer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I I guess I went to the shores of the Great Lake Erie like three mm-hmm. times. But the most exciting, you know, piece of media that I got from one of those trips was a. A short video of a praying mantis eating a bumblebee. Ooh, that's I know. how I would have imagined Nature. that would have turned out. Yeah, that's not where I thought the story was going. I know. All. I wanted to surprise you. Things have changed a lot since I moved to Ohio. But I'm coming to New York for a visit next month, and I can't wait to see you guys in person oh for one of our annual in-person episodes episodes yeah. of our lives an episode of our lives yeah yeah these are the episodes of our lives yeah. oh well we have a lot to talk about let's move on to the news yeah this is a part of the show in which we determine how daddy issues play out in pop culture and current events since this is our supersized summer recap we'll be dipping into stories from across the past few months we'll be talking about stories that feature power structures dysfunction, abandonment, addiction, mental illness, family patterns, and Johnny Depp's idea of what it means to be a man. 
Mm-hmm. Anything that would give our therapist pause, we'll be talking about it. The culture at large is suffering from daddy issues, and we're here to offer our diagnoses. Let's begin. Wow, the queen. Yeah. Did you guys hear what happened to her? Wait, Ugh. who are you talking about? All right, we have a lot to unpack. I'm gonna, you're talking I'm about gonna, Beyonce? I'm going to hand it over to you, Matt. Tell us. You're our in-house royalty expert. And yep. you know what? It took me the Queen's death and a good 10-day mourning period and us discussing it in detail over a few days to really get exactly how much of a primal daddy-issued story the British monarchy really is. And it actually really is one. So anyway, we all know she died on September 8th. Then there was the, the national uh, victory lap of the country, uh, you know, circus for dragging the coffin around for 10 days and then they had laying in state people funneling through to see the box a five um, mile queue yeah with a 24 hour wait a hundred insane insane right i think that what was interesting about this and what we finally got to is that charles is presenting himself as just kind of more of the same really And that is a product of when the Windsors were rebranded in 1901. So the Royal Family of England were rebranded in 1901 as the Windsors. That was like a name that they gave themselves then because there was a lot of anti-German sentiment. And they're actually a German family. Their name is Saxe-Coburg-Gotha. So they're presented as this like nuclear family. And, right. and that's how it kind of played out. And I guess that was viable when you have a very controlled media and you have like no way of really getting inside and figuring out who these people really are. But, and so that's how the queen kind of became the queen. That's what that product was. That product is no longer possible. But what really is going on here is the, the King of England, the monarch, is the head of state and also the head of the Church of England, which is oh. basically putting him on par. An unelected head of state is the head of the church. So in America, where we have this attempt to kind of separate church and state, in Britain, they don't do that. Right. So it's sort of on par with the Pope. It's essentially like the Pope is explicitly the Holy Father, the vicar of Christ on earth. It's not explicitly part of the myth with the king and the monarch, but that is how it plays out because we've got these like vestiges of the family that's meant to represent the epitome of what a family is. That's not possible because we know everything about them. And both instances, like I've always had a really insane disdain for the Vatican. I wasn't brought up Catholic, but I haven't had the same specific kind of disdain for the monarchy because I was brought up as a subject of Her Majesty in the Commonwealth. Right, And it took me this funeral and thinking about it for this episode to realize, actually, the monarchy is as bad as the Vatican, if not worse. Like, truly, if not worse. Because the Vatican has spent the last sort of 30, 40 years apologizing once in a while for things they did. In 1992, they apologized to women. You know, yeah. and they it's, it's like, this is what they do. The, the, the British crown has not apologized for anything actually no 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 they did apologize to maoris in new zealand once they do not apologize for things right never apologize never explain never yeah never explain never complain but also obviously never (laughs) apologize because because the idea is that they're through divine right 
given this role. They believe that, the Pope believes that. I'm sure that's part of what Charles has been told, certainly what the Queen was told. And so I kind of was like, okay, this is corrupt. I've always had an instinct that it justified a lot of racism in Australia. There was a referendum in 1999 to get rid of the monarchy. It did not go through. I was pro-republic. Didn't happen. And so I'm watching this footage, you know, the BBC goes into full 9-11 mode, like full North Korea mode, as the journalist Michael Walker in the United Kingdom pointed out. 24 hours, the Queen, nothing else. Nothing else is being played. Right. Endless sycophantic interviews with anyone who will sit there. This is, in terms of the sycophancy of the BBC coverage, they got Speaker of the House of Commons, Lindsay Hoyle, trade unionist, you know, we're not talking about House of Lords Toff at Eton. We're talking about a man. <laughs> this is how he spoke about the Queen's funeral. This is, gives you an idea about the sycophancy that the British media and the British public engaged in for the last, like, however many days. This is what he said. It's really important to try and make sure we get it right, and it's about showing the respect and the dignity and doing it in the right way. And we should not allow anything to overshadow the most important event the world will ever see, and that's the funeral of Her Majesty and the passing of Her Majesty has brought people together. The most important thing that the world will ever see wow. <laughs> was this mm -hmm. funeral. And... Bringing br people together, that's... And this, nah. it, this is exactly what people did when they were brought together. Ready? Here, this is fascinating. This is the BBC. Now, Sarah and Mark, who were, if not the last people, very Some, much the last people yeah, we were in the queue last night. What, what was that like? Amazing. It's the, I think it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. Even having my, my children, Lily and Luca, <laughs> I think this tops that. Oh, God. Standing in line for 12 hours to see the coffin of the Queen tops the birth of her children. That's super healthy. Let's keep infantilizing people with this weird parent structure that you're the protected child, but what protection? What is the king doing for you besides laundering your money? I just, on that note, want to quickly say some of the things that happened while the queen was on her victory lap of death <laughs> pakistan is underwater okay. puerto rico is currently got no power has been flooded and so is the dominican republic so if you'd actually like to help out people in pakistan you can donate to humanity and inclusion at www.hi-us.org people in puerto rico you can support by going to his, uh, hispanicfederation.org, and you can also, for the Dominican Republic, go to directrelief.org. So, people are suffering in that way. It also bears talking about the fact that the Queen's, the royal family's wealth is valued at something like $120 billion, but the public footed the bill for the whole state funeral that they've been Why? Paying. And what is, okay, you know how the monarchy is, it's all about, like, we provide service. Yeah. Like, we go to all the hospitals and we walk the streets and we let people look at us. What is that? Why are they doing that? And why is it controversial when they go to, say, the Bahamas and are fetid? you know, or South Africa and our, there's all this pomp and circumstance and it's such a burden for Meghan and Harry and everyone feels like their lives are in danger. Why do they do that then? 
What well, is the point of all their service? I mean, I think the only claim they have is that they do charity work, right? I mean, if the victory tours around the world are just to be like, we're still here, Commonwealth, we're still here. <laughs> nobody wanted to join the Commonwealth. Like, nobody was like, oh, British Empire, please, would you help us by settling here? Like, the British right. Empire forced its way in absolutely everywhere. With war, right? And yeah. also during Elizabeth's reign. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, it was kind of winding down by then. Like, you know, Elizabeth's father saw the letting go of, in well, maybe it was Elizabeth, they let go of India. Okay, so Barbados, for example, was under, like, they're subjects of the Queen until November of last year. And part mm. of the reason that that happened was because George Floyd's murder, which then became the Black Lives Matter movement, expanded out all over the world. And people in Barbados went, oh my God, enough. We aren't mm -hmm. actually British. White people do not need to be overseeing us in this symbolic way. We need to have our own identity. And that's one of the reasons that they sloughed off the monarchy last year. Mm -hmm. I think this idea of service, it's a vaguely described thing because it's like Charles described his in his speech, I mean, I've got it actually right here where he talks about how I will continue to serve you with love and respect. And it's like, you know what? This idea that you're going to craft the monarchy to be this thing that is relevant in the contemporary world, like this whole idea that you're delivering love and respect is totally and utterly bogus because the monarchy has never made any statement about slavery. They have avoided it. And also they provide cover for all manner of money laundering, their finances are opaque. The Queen paid off Prince Andrew's accuser with money. What money? It's opaque. Is it taxpayer money? Is it not? It's all on offshore bank accounts. It's like, that's not respectful of people. Mm -hmm. And like, so it occurred to me that if King Charles wants to be relevant, in the world right now and would like to take part in grown-up conversations, he might want to start by making a series of heartfelt apologies to the entire world explicitly for some of, if not all, of the following non-exhausting list. Its role in the African slave trade, the trillions of dollars worth of resources, jewels and art plundered from Africa and Asia, the forced relocation of petty criminals to the United States and Australia, the 19th century opium trade to China, which destroyed the lives of countless Chinese people, the numerous places around the world that British used smallpox as a means of chemical warfare, the oppression of Northern Ireland and the 35 million people on the Indian subcontinent who died specifically because of British policy in a succession of famines. They're mm. all waiting for apologies. They're all yeah. things they did. And the queen would trot around the world talking about how it was a loving family of nations. So I don't know. I just kind of went, this is grotesque to me. And watching the sycophantic, uncritical media coverage of it made me go, my God, <laughs> this is perverse. Well, yeah, I mean, to your point, Matt, like, you know, all of the sycophantic, like, you know, any time you turned on any of the big stations for the past 10 days, there was some talking hat on that would be like, oh, you know, if she really, the thing about her was that she was actually quite funny behind closed doors. And oh my she God, I know. once played a practical joke, I'm all, or, <laughs> or, you know, she really never let on her opinion about da-da-da-da-da. And she was so even keeled and she's just what the nation needed. Like, 
you could literally predict what at any time you turned on what someone was going to be saying about her and sharing their quote insights and intimate knowledge of her. But to what you're saying, Matt, the only thing that I thought was interesting that I heard, and of course, I don't remember who it was, was someone on MSNBC being like, you know, Charles and William are now now kind of like the voices of the family in a time during the monarchy's like incredible fragility. Like they Mm -hmm. like people are very much not into this family or the concept of monarchy anymore. And I've been questioning it for a long time as well as how they're going to operate in a post-Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, world where colonialism and everything is way more a part of a conversation around the family. And this talking head was like, and I think that they're going to have a lot of work to do with Charles, who (laughs) is having a hard time, Mm -hmm. you know, days after mummy has died, Keeping a straight face, not having a tantrum over his fucking pen and inkwell not working. All that that yeah, footage, that, was, that video that was, was so crazy. Like it's like, what was really he doing, you in. guys? But was he trying to sign a, a spe- special yeah, document yeah, yeah. like he Trump? Trying, yeah. He was yeah, upset. Yeah, yeah. He was trying to sign a exactly document and he was upset because he got the date wrong. So mm-hmm. that was like, you know, but it's like an, an emotional, like, Everybody had a, cl- a boy like this in elementary school who got really angry <laughs> about things and then started oh, yeah. crying. But minor things like stuff like, I, you know, I didn't get the math problem right. Or like it, yeah. it wasn't like being teased. It was like a self. I mean, it's sad in hindsight, but I can like I can think of two boys. That I won't say their names in second grade that would just get so upset. And that's what I saw with him where it's yeah. like. Totally. He, I'm sorry. You're upset that you didn't know what date it was. Like ah, and then he was upset that the the pen didn't work. And then well, he Camilla was like, this comes is in my way. And like, oh dear, this pen. And he's like, yeah, he's upset yeah. that the pink the ink wells in his way, and he's doing this weird grimacing. But this talking <laughs> head was like, they have a lot to contend with, and they and he's he's not only going to have to answer for like the political and cultural atrocities, and their complacency in it, but also. Getting Charles to stop acting like this, number one, as king, and number two, get his family in order. So he is the father of Harry, who is publicly warring with him and his yes. brother. How are you going to um, be any kind of role model? You can't even communicate with your own family. Right. I have to say, the queen is not directly responsible for slavery. But like, the, as the head of state, it is it is meaningful if the king makes a clear statement about this that is where the weight comes from and i think people stopped expecting that from her because she's an old woman and what was she gonna say and what was she gonna say and so now to keep it about this show it's now uh, you know daddy charles is home and that's right and yeah and also daddy charles we don't want daddy charles as our dad we the thing is we he has no credibility and and frankly these attempts for the royal family to kind of rebrand is like concerned about mental health i was thinking about this Mm. as we were talking about it like thank you william and harry for talking about your mental health and the suffering that they no doubt truly experienced watching their mother die Harry talked about most of it when he was out of the royal family. But aside from that, the royal family has absolutely no credibility when it comes to communicating about feelings whatsoever. <laughs> oh, I strive so for their medication cocktail. Like, I mean, seriously, talk about anxiety attacks. It's the opposite. Like, yeah. at the funeral, 
if you saw one person have one tear, uh, Kate famously didn't cry, but Megan had one tear and Sophie Essex was swallowing down one tear. Like, how do they do it? It's not an example <laughs> that people need. It is so right. it, weird repressed. to say. It's, yeah. it's, it's like weird. I mean, I get we're American and we're sitting here talking because Americans are very, like, Meghan Markle, she couldn't deal with the fact that they wouldn't talk about anything. And I get it's right. a different culture, fine. But, like, this idea that you've got to be completely stoic is insane. Yeah. It's not yeah. an example that needs to be set. I mean, Meghan Markle, we, we have to talk about the Cut article, Erin. You have oh my God. some opinions yeah, 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 about yeah. that. Well, uh, uh, you guys, I didn't even really finish the 6,000-word article, the piece and the cut, <laughs> um, okay. because there was so much reporting about it. Um, Megan's lifestyle branding piece that I think the writer in New York Magazine, there was a, a bit of satire going on, you know, it was like descriptions of her body language. And I, I just have a lot to say about body language in general, but she has a new podcast, right? The one that Spotify paid millions and millions and millions for two years ago. Um, it finally came out this summer, a couple of weeks ago. Right now it's on hiatus out of respect for the queen. But her first interview right out of the gate was with Serena Williams, and it was talking about the word ambition. The podcast is called Archetypes, and it's supposed to be about looking at specific words with other famous women that hold us back and, and keep people, I don't know, like keep misogyny alive, I guess. So she's talking to Mariah Carey about the word diva. And you're oh supposed God. to deconstruct the so word boring. diva. It's so and it's boring. so boring. And there's so many other important things she could be talking about. But one of the things that came out in the cut article, I believe, was uh, she mentioned that after she married Harry, they went to a premiere for The Lion King. An actor from South Africa pulled Megan aside at the 2019 Lion King premiere to say, I just need you to know when you married into this family, we rejoiced in the streets the same way we did when Mandela was freed from prison. <laughs> and so Mandela Mandela, who is the, one of the grandchildren of Nelson Mandela, said of his grandfather being released after serving 27 years in prison, Madiba's celebration was based on overcoming 350 years of colonialism with 60 years of brutal apartheid regime in South Africa. So it cannot be equated as the same. Every day there are people who want to be Nelson Mandela, either comparing themselves with him or wanting to emulate him. But before people can regard themselves as Nelson Mandela's, they should be looking into the work he did and be able to be champions and advocates of the work that he himself championed. He told the paper that the anti-apartheid activist's release was a much more serious reason to celebrate than Meghan Markle being married to, quote, a white prince. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is just a couple years ago when we were talking about their defection and leaving the monarchy or taking a pause or what moving to America, whatever it was. 
we speculated like maybe they're trying to make a statement, you know, about the monarchy and colonialism. And Mm -hmm. by the way, Andrew being a rapey liar. But that wasn't that wasn't why they left because they wanted to make money their own way and start a lifestyle brand. And it's disappointing because Mm -hmm. there's there's still like this centering of the wrong things. Mm -hmm. I will say that I listened to three episodes of her podcast yesterday. She's going after Oprah's demographic. She's always been this wildly ambitious woman. No problem with that. She's wanted to engage in advocacy while kind of indulging her narcissistic need to be seen and adored. And it's like, eh, you could do worse things like the monarchy does. Now, whether she achieves anything more impactful than like her own version of goop, we have to wait (laughs) and see. Do you want to hear how she describes it? This is how she describes her own podcast. People should expect the real me in this and probably the me that they've never gotten to know. Certainly not in the past few years um, where everything is through the lens of the media as opposed to, hey, it's me. I'm just excited to be myself and talk and be unfiltered. And yeah, it's fun. Right. She feels censored. (laughs) <laughs> she feels censored. Whatever. Sure. Well, she—I sure. mean, she was censored in the in the royal family because she didn't understand that it doesn't actually matter how famous you are; you're still on a pecking order, and you still go to the crap supermarket to open it if the queen doesn't want to do that. So, right. that's that's the thing that I think drove her crazy. Of Here's course. the thing: she wants to break free of the British need to analyze body language, which is what I want to focus on (laughs) from this whole story. Let's get into it. Because it's it's Chuck, it's King Chuck, and it's also Meghan Barkle. So I spent a couple days, well, September 19th and 20th, doing a deep dive in the Daily Mail's (laughs) body body language analysis. Well, because it's hot off the press, right? Yep. One of my faves... Body language expert weighs in on Megan and Prince Harry's relationship, just specifically looking at their their stillness at the funeral or the various funeral. King Charles also showing signs of distress, repeatedly pacifying and self-soothing gestures to get through the service, including stroking the top of his sword and rocking (laughs) backwards and forwards. Rocking is often seen in times of high psychological distress. We see it with zoo animals, yes. Right? And is an effective way of reducing anxiety and tension, noting the prince's also rocked throughout the service. So William and Harry also rocked. So then I went on Quora. Do you guys know what Quora oh, is? Oh, of course. Yes. You gotta oh, love Quora. Gotta you, to tell you There's... if you're going to get pregnant from dry Exactly. Humping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like basically Reddit, but you ask a question and people and just love to weigh in. Anyone, anyone can. So there's a million threads about Megan in particular. And it caught my eye because this chain about body language and the funeral didn't even mention Meghan Markle's name. They just say either MM or TW. And TW means it's three things. It can either mean that woman, <gasps> the witch, or uh, the wife. And so this uh, is perfect for us. It's gender. It's like 
you'll notice that people hate Megan, but they hate Megan because of what she's done to Harry, that they they took away our favorite son who was walking behind, you know, Diana's coffin and mummy and just our image of him. Mm -hmm. So, okay, here's some choice comments about T.W., Look at her dress for the funeral service. The cape at least covered part of her arms and all when she kept them down at her sides. Thankfully, that prevented us from having to view an ill-fitting dress as we have had to do so many times. She did probably wear it to be different and more dramatic. She loves the dramatic, which is why she goes with the cape look fairly often. So in the end, the cape was our saving grace, not seeing all the wrinkles and bunched fabric because she obviously doesn't use a dresser most of the time. If she spent half of what she spends on PR teams and expensive clothing, she could hire a full-time dresser. It would be money well worth spending. Imagine writing that. Like imagine sitting down at your computer and taking the time to write that. Then finishing and going, good, that's fine. Post. Press post, enter, did it. I nailed it. I (laughs) nailed it there. It's so crazy because the whole the implosion of of the the fab floor, Meghan Markle admits it was over Kate thinking that Charlotte should follow protocol by wearing tights mm-hmm. for as a four year old for the royal wedding. Megan, who was like, "It's my day, and in America, little girls should be free because feminism. They shouldn't have to wear tights." Somebody made somebody cry. Then there was an mm-hmm. apology, and now they live in Montecito. Okay, right. like calm down. I'm never going to be on your side. But what is it about like the British? Yeah, that you have to not show your arms during a royal funeral, and a cape is inappropriate. I That's- think it's actually that when you are an empire. And you want to mobilize, and the only thing that matters is empire and not the identities of the people involved. Everyone's just a cog in a machine. So for centuries, they've barreled forward with this idea that Britain is this immovable empire, and everyone plays their role. It's like, keep calm and carry on is like, you've got to keep calm because we've got to keep profiting and we've got to keep expanding the empire. And it's not about you. It's about the bigger thing that you're a part of. I think that's kind of what it is. It's just about, we are at the top of the pyramid. We are at the the pinnacle of human existence. So have some dignity and we can only stay there if nobody has any specific human needs of their own. Right. Well, it's actually white supremacy. Like, right. It's just white supremacy. Totally. But we talk about TW and we talk about MM and we think about her a lot on the show because she famously had to extract herself from her relationship with her father, who is That's right. deeply right. fucked up. But I, what I thought was interesting about that cut article is that, and everybody was talking about this yes. during, during the royal coverage, that she says... She said that Harry told her that he feels that he lost his father in the process of the the Montecito tights apocalypse. That's right. right? And she said to the interviewer, it doesn't have to be the same for them, meaning the royal family and Harry. 
as it was for me, but that's his decision, meaning to not right. speak to Charles anymore. But this, taking it back to her Suits acting days, yeah. MM, what did she say about possibly reconciling? She said this, I think forgiveness is really important. It takes a lot more energy not to forgive, but it takes a lot of effort to forgive. I've really made an active effort, especially knowing that I can say anything. Oh, my God. And now we have Harry's tell-all memoir that's coming out. It's supposed to come out by November. Yeah. I mean, all the papers are at Twitter that uh, when Harry was summoned to, when all the men were summoned to the queen's bedside. She was dead. I'm sorry. She was fucking dead. dead. To to poke her, to summon to poke her. Well, the story. Gan Gan. The royal poking. Gan Gan. The royal death's poking stick. So Kate stayed behind and, and Megan stayed behind while the men were supposed to rush to Scotland. And apparently Harry was so incensed that they wouldn't let his wife come, you know, be his emotional support animal. Um, He threw a fit and missed his flight and had to take a commercial flight and didn't go with the other guys who missed her death anyway. But it just doesn't sound like they're ever going to get like back together and that this will destroy the family and keep. Right. Well, and good luck. But as we just said, Charles has a lot on his plate to contend with, including, you know, big daddy Charles of the UK and including his own his own relationship with his own sons which is damaged because of him and so and and also to realize i just don't hate megan markle is i really don't i feel like she's just ambitious and she's really earnest and very name dropping and ambitious like she's like her slobbering over serena williams is gross to me but if there are worse things you could do right There are worse things you can do, like turn an entire nation against your ex-wife and get the paparazzi so obsessed with her that they then kill her in a tunnel and photograph her as she's dying. Right. And and also wanting to be a tampon. King Tampon, everybody. Tell us, Aaron. No shade. No shade. Take us out with King Tampon. The head of the Church of England. We know that he's wanted to be a tampon. In, in the vagina of the queen consort, cheating well, on the mother of his, you know, now the Prince of Wales. And what is Harry? He's allowed to be a duke. He's still, still the Duke of Sussex. He's allowed to be Mr. Man. It's amazing how people are blinkered from seeing this stuff. It's in front of you right yeah, now. Yeah, right. But they cannot and will not see it. They cannot be critical of this. It's so crazy how people don't see this stuff. It really is shocking. Well, thank you, Matt and Aaron, <laughs> particularly Matt, for that analysis. We got some more to talk about. Yes. It's not just that Queen Busy Windsor died. Miss <laughs> Biz, Miss Biz kicked the bucket. That's true. My Her Majesty Bizlene. Bizlina? <laughs> Bizteen. Biztina Lina. So I would just like to toot our own horn um, mm. for a moment. I do feel that we were right on the money when at the end of 2021, that's famously we do the daddies. We're going to be doing them again this December for, to mm. talk about dads of the year. Who did we name as the biggest piece of shit of the year? We said it was Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. 
Yeah. And we at the time were like, oh, is this too rough? Like he had just killed the poor cinematographer on set. <laughs> no, I know. It seems insane to even be saying that out loud. But like we were like, this is maybe not right of us to say is the biggest piece of shit in the world. We were right. I just want to yeah. say we were fucking right. This he only man... had seven kids back then. And I still think he's a piece of shit now that he has oh. like another one. Yeah, 17. Yeah, he had a couple. Oh, my dozen. God. So, I mean, he just hasn't been able to get out of his way this whole summer, including what the fuck. In I mean, no surprises because he's famously a Woody Allen apologist, if not the most famous Woody Allen apologist next to maybe Diane Keaton. But at least the difference with Diane is that she doesn't continually come back yeah. to go to bat for Woody, unprompted even. She's not uh, on Reels every single day. Instagram Reels. Yeah, so in late June, Alec Baldwin released this really stupid, like, giddy kind of just, like, teaser about, like, he just couldn't wait to tell us that he was going to be doing an Instagram Live, you know, of, of X day. And guess who my guest is? It's Woody Allen. This was all in promotion of Woody Allen's book of comedic essays called oh. Zero, or excuse me, humor pieces titled Zero Gravity. Um, Zero Gravity, by the way, uh, in includes an inscription to both of he and Sunyi's beautiful daughters. It's dedicated to their beautiful daughters. In that mm. same, in Zero Gravity, he also compares Sunyi to a vampire. So, oh, wood, wood cool. man, wood man. But Alec Baldwin does this Instagram live video. We'll play some of the audio. It was a disaster. It's so funny and and so bad. And they both deserve every second of how bad it was like the wi-fi connection shitty alec baldwin's complaining the whole time he's wearing like a titleist like golf visor he looks like complete shit they both are so old and farty <laughs> and don't know what they're doing woody allen's audio keeps dropping out if you really love something and you do it with sincerity there's a chance that uh, you can commute you broke up there we lost him are you there we froze. Can you hear me? And you then the most amazing thing happens. So Woody Allen's connection completely stops. Ugh. And and so Alec Baldwin is still being recorded on his end. Right. And he opens the door to his office and shouts this at his housekeeper. Leonela! Leonela! Basta! Las paritas, basta! Las paritas, suficiente! So that's Alec Baldwin in Spanish telling his housekeeper to shut the dogs up. Apparently people on Twitter who actually speak Spanish were like, that's terrible. He, that was a terrible attempt. Oh, at Spanish oh uh, also, Ilaria, his wife. Yeah, exactly. If we're going to pretend. But the Salat piece that I'm looking at right now came out a couple days afterwards. The writer... Allison Stein does a good job of pointing out, number one, asking the question, why the fuck did this happen? Like, you know, why, yeah. why do this? But she not only is asking why do this, why have Woody Allen on? She makes the good point. You have a podcast that's produced by iHeartRadio, Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why bother with an Instagram live video, which clearly is not your forte. You didn't have the support where you no. didn't have the production support 
So the reporter does a good job. I mean, no comment, of course, from the iHeart staff, but kind of the way that she wrote it leaves you wondering if maybe his staff said, no, thank you. We're done. 100% that's Alan on the fucking show. We've had that's him exactly on enough. That's exactly right. I mean, I would like to think that. Maybe not. And I also uh, think the reason that he did it is because he was so obscurely irrelevant for a period of time in his life when he had all these ambitions to just be like a leading man like Tom Cruise and then just resented that he wasn't. Right. Then Tina Fey gave him a career and then Woody Allen kind of propped it up again. So he has this debt of gratitude that can never be repaid to people like Tina Fey and Woody Allen. And I think Woody Allen knows that and calls him and goes, listen, can you just help me to promote this thing I'm doing? And Woody Allen, Alec Baldwin has to say yes. And yeah, iHeartRadio is like absolutely not Ugh. we're not doing it i think yeah. that's kind of all it is yeah i mean not all it is like i mean what a monstrous decision to make to put to put woody to facilitate anything to well, do i wonder who outside the media or people like us who hate all these people involved like actually watched it like what was the point yeah his book he was promoting right. a okay. stupid book and right whatever also last week he announced that he was retiring woody allen and then like five hours later was like no i'm not just kidding yeah. the hollywood reporter misquoted uh, me moving on to someone that's going to come in as a, a close second to not only biggest piece of the shit of the year but definitely of the summer is elon musk yeah. oh my god it was just hit after hit from him. Yeah. But we really, the three of us really loved this. And this got a lot of attention on our Instagram account when we posted about it. Elon Musk's daughter was granted a name change. She was able to change her name from Musk to Wilson, which is her mother's last name, because she says she no longer wishes to be related to her father. In any way, shape, or form. In any way, gender identity, she 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 wrote on the paperwork to do it. The petition filed on April 18th, but then this didn't happen until the summer. Quote, the reason was gender identity and the fact that I no longer wish to be related to my biological father in any way, shape, or form, she wrote. Mm. Good for her. Very healthy. Incredible. Um, she also wrote on Twitter that she had a, uh, quote, weird... A weird childhood and that she can't believe I'm as normal seeming as I am. And she said that she's proud of herself. So I'm glad that she's proud of herself and I'm proud of her for yeah, good uh, job. Breaking, breaking away from Elon. But also, not soon after this, Elon Musk's dad, Errol, on August 1st, is reported by The Guardian. One of the last daddy issues you and I did together, Aaron, was with our guest Youngmi Mayor. Shout out to yeah. Youngmi. We talked about we talked about the legacy of the Musks, including, you know, that Elon's father, Errol, who he has yep. described as being, quote, capable of evil and a monster to the press, had fathered a child, a, a little, I think a girl, with right. with paging Woody Allen. With his stepdaughter, who that he, he had, raised, that he that raised he, from like age two. There's a second baby, Errol. Since we've done that episode, there's a second fucking child. Elon with Musk the same, has with, with the his same stepdaughter, yeah. children with his stepdaughter, who is named Jana Bazundenhout. <laughs> Did they Fair. marry? Hi. No, they're not married. They're not married because he's not monogamous. He doesn't believe in. He just really likes to reproduce, or he figures women do, so he keeps giving the young ones babies. It helps women feel like they've 
fulfilling the purpose. He said the only thing we are on Earth for is to reproduce. Thank you. Elon Musk also tweeted something similar this year. So apparently he and his dad are uh, aligned there. But this is what he was asked in a strange interview. I'm reading from The Guardian on an Australian radio show. If he was proud of Elon Musk, this is in August. Errol replied, no, you know, we're a family that we've been doing a lot of things for a long time. It's not as if we just suddenly started doing something. I mean, I don't want to say I felt a pang of sympathy for Elon Musk. Like, I don't want to feel bad for Elon, but what a fucking dick. Like, why why would you say that? I'm not proud of him because as a family, we've been doing things for a long time. Then he goes on to talk about... The fact that Kimball, who is Elon's brother, is really who he's the most proud of. He's the pride and joy of his life. He's just probably like, just jealous of his son. Fucking yeah. people. Like, way. Aaron, you were right when you said the Musk men stink the first time. And That's you're, right. It's a saying that rings true today as it <laughs> it's as true today as it was when you said it the first when, time. When I was getting ready for this episode, I was just looking at, at recent YouTube videos that have come out about Elon Musk. And there is a, one fresh out of the oven from oh. Jay Leno today, oh. Jay, Jay's Garage. In this interview with Elon Musk that came out yesterday, <laughs> famously, he wants to colonize Mars. But I have to hand it to Jay's Garage. They they actually go into an explanation of what that would mean. I'm going to play Jay Lena's description or explanation. Oh, please. So you can only go to Mars every two years. Hold on a second. Two years? Well, that's right, because every two years, Earth and Mars are orbitally aligned to allow for the shortest route between them. Okay, Elon. Take it away. So if you've got a thousand ships, if you're able to put a hundred people on that ship, that'll be a hundred thousand people every two years. And say it'd take you 20 years to get to a million people. And figure, I don't know, about a million people is probably what you need to create a self-sustaining city on Mars. There only can be a trip every two years. Okay. And really in the end, they can only take a million people total mm. to Mars. Mm. So if I had to guess, that means those million people are going to be like the world's richest people. Yeah. Or a bunch of tech bro. Just like heaven. Acolytes of him. It's just like heaven. (laughs) Or Grimes. Or it'll be all of his children, obviously, because it came out too. Or maybe all his sons. This summer, he not only had another child with Grimes, but... He also fathered twins, right, with an employee. That's, yeah, this is fine. so no, this is fine. All very this ethical. Is, we I love, love it. it. Yeah. Good for him. Well, another person that we really haven't spoken a lot about on this show, but had he had a great summer is Johnny Depp. Johnny mm-hmm. Depp who, did. Who Matt and I feel like you said that someone on Twitter called him this, but I love it. We on our internal tell me about your father chat call him Jonathan Depression. Somebody did, and I found the original, and I really am gonna find out. I want to credit the writer, but I can't find it right Depp now. Depression. Johnny Depp is short for Jonathan Depression. It is utter, it's utter gold. Jonathan Depression is now, guys, this just came out yesterday. He's dating his lawyer, Joel Rich. From the UK defamation trial that he lost. That he lost. But, you know, Aaron, you actually brought my attention to this and we posted about it on Tell Me About Your Father Instagram. But Sharon Osbourne then kind of like went to bat. The Daily Mail changed their headline about it to be negative, I'm sure, after Sharon Osbourne's PR 
company or PR team contacted them, they changed the headline to say something more like she slams both of them for being ugly on trial. But really, the point of this, you know, Sharon Osbourne quote was that she had really been pulling for him and she's really happy that that he won and she's shocked that he won and then goes on to tell an obviously fake story that never happened about she saw him backstage kneeling next to a little girl who wanted to share a diary entry with him about how much he loved she loved him she said it happened just last night at the jeff beck show that he was <sighs> off playing while the jury was deciding and this is the virginia defamation trial of this summer that he then won which brought out the worst in the world in mm. terms of like yeah. droves of mostly women, middle-aged women going to the courthouse as Johnny Depp and his legal team pulled up in their SUV blasting Bob Marley's war child every child. single day signing autographs for fans impregnate me hit me Johnny take my baby just absolute utter Michael Jackson um, it is insanity. Michael. It is Michael Jackson. With, who do we talk with? About? It was Joel with Joel. Kimbister. With it was Joel. like, why is he so important to people? Like well, Michael Jackson got it. We're interested in. Yeah, right. I think everyone realizes now, or they should, that there's all these bots created. Like he paid an mm -hmm. enormous sums of money to have the whole hashtag I'm with Johnny Amber turd you know she's a liar it's important to remember that this trial like the uk one has nothing to do with her even it has to do with publications reporting on whether or not he's a wife beater in the uk and in the us the washington post she wrote an op-ed in 2018 i think a couple years after they divorced it was like a domestic violence PSA. And he decided after a couple of years post-divorce, after he couldn't get work, which I'll talk about in a second, was not because of the divorce with Amber Heard, but because of his 10 long year reputation of not being able to perform on set. And you'll notice that mm -hmm. you know his he just hasn't been in movies for a long time. Well, he has one coming out. Well, he does now. But you're yeah. right. In early August, after the trial, 6,000 pages of unsealed documents that weren't allowed into the evidence by the judge were released to the public. So remember, there had been that she owes him 15 million now. She's a liar. And all these people were and celebrities were congratulating him and and responding positively to his social media, saying, thank you for all the support. You know, my children can now not be embarrassed that I'm their father. But when these 6,000 pages of unsealed court documents were unsealed, came to light, a lot of people retracted their support because it was truly horrific, you know, the the proof and the evidence that was released. So the text messages, which we all know, like disparaging texts, like setting the, her on fire, setting her on fire, killing her, all this stuff with Marilyn Manson, Paul Bettany, blah, blah. But 
really the ones that matter the most to me were the text between his assistant and Amber herself after this notorious incident where he kicked her allegedly on the private jet and then was like passed out and moaning. Among the newly unsealed documents are exhibits of text messages that Depp's then assistant, Stephen Deuters, sent to Heard in 2014 about the time Depp had allegedly kicked Amber Heard during a fight aboard a private jet. Quote, if someone was truly honest with him about how bad it really was, he would be appalled. Deuters texted Heard about Depp. I'm sad he doesn't have he doesn't have a better way to really know the severity of his actions yesterday. Unfortunately for me, I remember them in full, in full detail, everything that happened. He was appalled. When I told him he kicked you, he cried. Depp mm. subsequently texted Heard. Once again, I find myself in a place of shame and regret. Of course, I am sorry. I will never do it again. My illness somehow crept up and grabbed me. I feel so bad for letting you down. In messages retained by Heard, he subsequently texted to apologize while calling himself a fucking savage mm -hmm. and a lunatic. But Depp's law firm, Brown Rudnick, could not find any records of the texts in Depp's iCloud and looked into whether they may have been, in their own words, deleted. <laughs> Ultimately, the law firm determined they were missing for reasons unknown. These texts regarding the kicking incident were presented in the UK trial, but not deemed admissible in the Virginia defamation trial. He also tried to get pictures of her naked. Oh my God. Like entered into evidence, called her an exotic dancer. I can't even what? believe those two words go together in 2022 before she met him and strongly implied that Amber Heard was at one time an escort. So again, talk about libel and... You know, like it's all her fault that mm -hmm. she ensnared him into her web, this mm -hmm. 50 plus year old man back when she was a 20 something starlet that none of us had ever heard of, that she somehow ruined his life. <laughs> I'm an agent. And I mean, his agency, UTA, dropped him after 30 years of representation, I mean, not because of, of the Amber Heard divorce. Because it, he's a drunk, because yes. he can't remember he his lines, because he is slurring, yeah. because he is drinking yeah. wine out of coffee cups on set. Yeah. This is something you hear over and over again. When we saw him in the mere days after the trial, which they worked so hard to make it look like Amber Heard saying that he had that she had been a victim of domestic abuse would cost him his career. Her defense gave example of example of, you know, his inability to not only stay sober, but not spend his money wildly. And the day after that, photos of him being obviously held up by two bodyguards yeah. while he slumped over smiling and waving. It's like, what are we doing here? Why yeah. is it so hard for us to look at him and be like, he is sick, you know, yeah. like. He is the sick. emperor has no clothes. You know what? Actually, but why him? 
him. Is it just that we've known him for so long culturally since yeah. Hill Street he Blues cool. and his it's part of his depth and... as an actor and as an artist, but I just would love to point out in light of every single detail that you've just said, including mm-hmm. his inability to function as a man who does not drink. Yeah. His next film called Jean Dubarry, he will play Louis the Fifteenth, the French Emperor, who the narrative is he was controlled by ambitious women and his inability to show up and care about anything besides pleasure fundamentally allowed for several women to make all of his decisions for him and then led to the French Revolution. So it's that whole thing with casting where... Oh, he knows this material. Yeah, right. But it's also like kind of... I, I just think casting is so interesting because it's like you bring in somebody to play a role like this just capitalizing on this like dis- yeah. this absolute wasteland of destruction that they leave behind them and then that's part of his appeal for this role but like what what, what woman gets this chance it's so right? astonishing to me i can't wait to see the film like i wonder what how they put it together <laughs> it's like you know found footage or like stock footage i don't know jesus christ yeah i mean definitely you know amber heard has a wacky personality. You know, it is all over the place. She's she's a bad actress. You can see her trying to act. All of that said, even if she's the worst person in the world, if you have ever known and loved or just even lived around an alcoholic who is a blackout drug or drug user like Johnny Depp, who's like proudly listing in court, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I take this and this and this and everything. I've never taken ketamine. <laughs> yes, you fucking have, you fucking liar. Mm-hmm. They don't have a personality. It's so fractured. They don't remember where they were, what they said, what they did. They're relying on the assistant in his case and the millions of enablers who he pays to mm-hmm. keep him out of trouble. And when you are her, I would imagine that you have nowhere to turn. And it is so frustrating to even try to leave a controlling relationship that is Mm -hmm. so full of Mm -hmm. um, that gaslighting that exists when specific to addiction, like, okay, just like, it's going to get better tomorrow. And if he dries out for a few days, Mm -hmm. you know, we can get back to that place where I kind of remember what it was like. But also when someone's so passed out, of course you lose your shit and like scream at them. And mm-hmm. they were recording each other all the time. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't yeah. understand the worship for him, the idealization of him. I think it's just the perfect storm of like, yes way rosé culture like mega pint of wine like you know cheers to johnny like we'd all love to drink a drink a huge glass of wine um mixed with people thinking he really is captain jack sparrow mixed with the nostalgia of him being such a a cutie pie from the 80s it's cross-generational But to your point, Erin, like I, you know, you talk about that there's no personality when people are that far gone into addiction. 
I think that that the the baseline emotion or if there was a personality, it's shame. It is being ashamed. It is that text message that mysteriously disappeared. And that is the cycle. That is what he called it. But that is also what keeps people in relationships. And, you know, my like personally, I lost my father to alcoholism. It was impossible to get through to him ever because all conversations went back to this man who I loved hanging his head and sobbing in shame over how much he hated himself that he couldn't stop drinking. So it's so tragic. I'm happy that 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 judge released those documents. I wish that the public had had access to it and they would have been able to. Or the jury. Or the jury. Yeah. But Jesus fucking Christ. I'm glad that we talked about that because there's other stuff on the list to get to, none of which is that important. However, there are two two names left on the list that I would like to tease because we are dedicating <laughs> our next episode only to them. It's going to be an Aaron and, and Busy T special yeah. uh, about uh, Army Hammer and Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, uh, and we're two gonna great tastes that go bad together. We're gonna two bad. Tastes. We're gonna combine them together. Um, Army Hammer. It was uh, revealed this summer is possibly we don't know the truth. Working at a timeshare in the Cayman Islands where his family lives. You know, there were photos of him walking around on the grounds of this place wearing what appeared to be a staff uniform. The internet went crazy. His lawyer came out and said it wasn't true. But simultaneously, and my gut instinct when I saw that actually was good for him. Mm -hmm. Good. He's clearly in recovery. He's clearly working with someone that's like, you need to just get a job. Like, just get a job that gives you structure. Like, if you're serious about recovering, don't worry about going back to making movies. It seemed like he was maybe going to do the thing that I'm always yelling about on this show, which is just go away. Take 10 years off. You don't need to work anymore. You have plenty of money. The redemption tour is, it's too soon. It's so too soon. So he needs to stay out of jail. It's you too know, soon. There's but, lawsuits but you, pending. The lawyer denied it. I mean, I wish the lawyer hadn't denied it, but whatever, um, that he was working at this timeshare. Um, but simultaneously, yes, lawsuits pending. We are going to talk about on this next episode, House of Hammer, which is a, a very strange discovery. I'm sorry. It's weird. It's a really weirdly edited. I know, but it it's so right up our alley. It is so right up. This The Hammer, the Hammer. Generations. Uh, of... uh, psy- psychoses goes way back. But, you know, simultaneously, while this denial comes out from the lawyer, no, 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 of course he's not working at a timeshare. Then you start seeing slowly his wife coming back into headlines. I'm paraphrasing, but essentially saying they're working on it for the sake of their children. Um, I have an update on that, but we tell think, me, we could come. So she is actually seeing someone else, but they are working together as a family unit so he can stay in the kids' lives. And okay. she believes in redemption and that people are capable of wellness. He apparently is now not working at the timeshare as part of a recovery thing. He might be doing something else, but he and the family have moved back to Los Angeles, reportedly being helped through this recovery process by Robert Downey Jr., who does that for many men in the industry when they hit hard times. We're juxtaposing this with Shia LaBeouf 
you know, last year accused of horrific violence and controlling anger issues and, you know, a relapse in his addiction struggle by FKA Twigs, um, who is suing him. And there is a trial in the spring. So then he went back to rehab for a good three months and has emerged a Catholic who is on a redemption tour through the lens of one podcast that we know of that well, no one him. else wants to talk to him no one else will allow him to talk to them that's his <laughs> angle so he's poised to make a comeback hosted by good actor but extremely uh lovable and air quotes uh dumb dumb actor john bernthal oh my god it's called real ones shia goes on this podcast it is two hours long i'm gonna play a clip right now this is from a 20 minute highlight he talks about his entry into Al, excuse me, into Al-Anon, into he AA. He learned to stop talking. His entry yeah. into AA. He learned to stop talking and, you know, taking work just to work and put his ego aside and to stop acting all the time. In the doctor's opinion, or how our book starts, it, it mentions the word doomed. And he's like, this isn't like another AA guy. This is a doctor telling you you're doomed if you don't figure this shit out. And uh, he goes, to put it in perspective, if you went to Kaiser Permanente right now, and they sat you down and put your, you know, x-rayed you and put your, your x-ray up on a light board. And you're looking at a picture of your clavicle. And the doctor said, hey, man, you see that, that gray spot just above your chest cavity? You're doomed. What would happen to you is your asshole would suck. You would fucking start sweating bullets. And you wouldn't be thinking about the job that you got to get to or the girl you got to hold on to or where you're going to go on the, for Father's Day or what. The, you Immediately, your whole life would get very small. And the only rational response to that kind of information is, well, what do I do? And if I told you to staple a dog's dick to your fucking chin and walk up and down the street picking up cigarette butts, you would do it. You wouldn't ask me why or whether you believe in it or nothing. You go look for a dog, you know? He's not ready to be speaking publicly. He shouldn't be working. He's simultaneously, you know, you mentioned Catholicism. Aaron has made a movie called Father P.O. Um, here's a clip of him speaking awkwardly with some um, priests about his role in it from a... Christian movie news YouTube channel. We're making a film, uh, me, Abel Ferrer, and Willem Dafoe are making a movie um, called Padre Pio, about the great Padre Pio. And uh, we're trying to get as close to the, the accurate um, depiction of what it's like to be a friar as possible, and try to get as close to like the human, tangible, tactile relationship that this man had with Christ, and bringing the good news to the world. Thank you, Shia. God bless you. God bless you. And Shia has also become a very new father in the midst of all of this. That's what right. also. So that's another piece. Keeps it all together for him. It yes. keeps it all together as to why we're even devoting time to talking about him. He also, I think, in the last month has said that Honey Boy, which is a, a movie that I wept audibly through, about being a child star and being forced into that world and also abused by his dad. To mm -hmm. which Shia um, has now come out and said was all bullshit. I don't believe I him. think what he was actually saying in that interview was he apologized to his father for putting our stuff in the street, in quotes. Mm, Sorry for making all of the embarrassing shame that you should that you feel public to everyone. I apologize for going public with it. Right, because um, now that it's happening to me, 
with other people in my life calling out my shit, I know what it must have felt like for poor dad, for me to play my interpretation. It's very sensitive and yeah. empathetic interpretation. As sensitive as Reagan about AIDS. Like it doesn't matter until it <laughs> happens to me. And it was Rock Hudson that turned it around. Yeah. I think what also links these three men together, Johnny Depp, Army Hammer and Shia LaBeouf and yes. countless mm. others, is it's okay to be a leading man who's endlessly dysfunctional and toxic and abusive because that just bolsters the depth of your talent and complexity. And your masculinity. And they, I suspect Shia is not concerned whether he gets enough uh, therapy or not. He just is like, great, now I got a whole chunk of new credibility I can right. trot out there. And higher ability. Yeah. And higher ability. Higher ability. Well, guys, we talked about King Tampon. We talked mm -hmm. about an, an army of Shias. We talked about Jonathan Depression and his farty self. And Elan, we're back, baby. We're <laughs> back, Elon. Um, we're back. We're back with daddy issues. Can Margaret <laughs> Thatcher take us out? Margaret Thatcher. Oh, Matthew. Oh, well, let me Matthew. To close out uh, with. I'm so happy for your segment and that Daddy Issues is back. That sounded like, like a vampire. You sound like you're almost dead, but this is the king. You may live in the United Kingdom or in the realms and territories across the world. And. Whatever may be your background or beliefs, I shall endeavor to serve you with loyalty, respect, and love as I have throughout my life. Yes. Oh, he's so loving. Loyalty, respect, and love. As we will attempt as well to serve you, our listeners, oh. with loyalty, respect, and love. We will be your Tampax daddy. <laughs> God Gross. save the queen. Monarch daddy. God save the queen. Bye, everybody. We'll see you next time. Good luck. Good luck. Goodbye. Tell Me About Your Father and Daddy Issues are created and produced by Aaron Hosier, Elizabeth Thompson, and Matthew Philp. Follow us at Tell Me About Your Father on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter that accompanies new episodes at tellmeaboutyourfather.com. Oh, and Apple Podcasts is like the New York Times book review of platforms. So if you can, go there to rate and review us. We'd love to hear what you think.